just want to uh, greet all of you here this morning. And um, looking at Facebook online, we have 21 families joining us. So I, I commented out there on Facebook even this morning, looks like we have more people on Facebook than we have with us this morning. Um, let me just read some of the names who are, are joining us today. Uh, the Stokites uh, are aligned today, and the, the Currington's. If there's sickness in both those homes, I know. Kat is with us. Welcome, Kat. And uh, Rich Garden is with us today. Uh, the Webbers are, are with us. The Velks, the Iversons. Uh, Adrian even was able to find, finagle her way to get a computer today. So hi, Adrian. Good to see you. Everyone say hi, Adrian. What? Hi, Adrian. Um, Bonnie Mundell is with us. The Kaisers are with us. The Mitchells are there. The, the Wicks are, are with us. Uh, Laura Dre, even from Florida, is with us here this morning. And uh, so, I just, so I just go through and, and know some of the issues and things in their life that they're struggling with or going over just pastorally. I just feel a, a burden even now just to take some time and just, just pray for some of these families who are hurting online. So let's pray. Father, I, I just would pray, God, even as we are a very divided church now, um, God, even we have some here in the auditorium and we have some in the overflow room. Uh, so there's a, a division among us, even here, physically. And we have some in, uh, at home, um, God, not, not even here, not even close by, some hundreds miles away. And God would pray that even this morning unite, you might unite us and help us just as we think about your word and we think about the glory of, of Christ. Um, and do, Father, I, I do pray just for the, uh, the people um, who are gone. And some of them want to be here, but uh, just feel themselves at risk and feel they shouldn't be here, and just would pray that it, at some point, God, you might just allow COVID to lift, um, God, that we might be together, just even in my mind, hoping that's the summer, and then leading into the fall to restore things to normal. Um, God, just would, would pray uh, for those, would pray for Laura Dre as she has left our mix, our, our mix and moved to Florida, pray you'd be gracious to her to help her, help her there as well. God, and just the, the hurts and the trials and the difficulties and the anguish that, that is going on um, in the lives of families and the, the difficulty separation has caused and kids have come and sickness has come. God, would pray you would show great mercy um, to all at this time. And just would pray as we open your word, I pray we would be encouraged by it. Uh, I pray that you, the, the scriptures would come alive to us, that we would be refreshed in a way that would be um, just unusual today, oh God, just uh, to see your word and be enlivened by it as I simply open it. It is your, your word. It is the words um, God breathed out by the prophets from the Holy Spirit. And I, I trust, God, that you would use your word in the lives of your people, God, to encourage them and help them uh, even this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin with... Uh, uh, an event that took place in, in my life and Yvonne's life. I think it was uh, Wednesday. It was after the, the Tuesday snow that uh, Yvonne and I were out for a walk. 
And as we were nearing the end of our walk uh, around our neighborhood, we came upon a, a woman um, who, whose driveway was shoveled. She was out shoveling. She had a shovel in her hand. And most of the driveway was all, all shoveled. Um, yet there was this little little piece towards the end, you know, where the, the snowplow comes by and really, really um, makes it deep and it's hard and sometimes compacted with salt and it's just more more difficult. And, and we just started talking with her and she was just sharing of some of the difficulty that, that she had in, uh, in um, shoveling her driveway. Um, in fact, uh, she even just recalled about how she would come out for a little bit and then she'd get too winded or too exhausted and then she'd go back inside. And then she came out for a little bit, and then she'd go back inside, and I'm like, I, I can help her. And so I just said, I tell you what, let me just finish it for you. It was probably a five-minute job for me, but was probably more of a half-hour job for her. And so, so I, I began to shovel this snow for her, and Ivana's standing right there, and I'm shoveling the snow off like this. And, and she's just kind of standing there and, 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 and very impressed by me. And... Uh, <laughs> She, she said, my, how quickly you are shoveling your snow. That, that is so quick. Wow, that is so fast. And then she said, she said, um, what kind of job do you have that enables you to be so strong? <laughs> I'm glad she noticed. <laughs> and uh, that's my line, right? Make the pivot pretty easy there. And I answered the way I often answer when this question comes is I am a pastor and I have such a, a wonderful job. I teach the Bible and I spend my time I spend my time telling others how their sins can be forgiven in Jesus. That's kind of my my standard line is what I what I say. When someone kinda of asks me, I just try to open a door there and what it is. I've used it many times. It's created effective conversations. It just says not that I'm a pastor, but even bringing it down to forgiveness and I tell people about that in Jesus and we had a good conversation, really. She, she needs a local church, and so I invited her to ours. And uh, in fact, she invited her and said, you can have a ride if you want. We'll pick you up. And so she wanted to know what house we were, and so we walked down to uh, our house. And maybe she's online today. That would be wonderful. Uh, glad to have you. But that's why we share with people. That's why we speak to others about Jesus, because people need churches. And they need, they need Christ, and they need salvation, of course, and, but they need churches, a place where they can serve and a place where they can be served. And so we want to see people believe and trust in Christ and see them be involved and engaged in a church. We might help them in their faith. And, and what took place on Tuesday, on Wednesday, I guess it was, what took place on Wednesday is, is very typical about opportunities that we all have to witness about Jesus. Normally there's, there's some event that happens or there's some conversation or there's maybe some question that comes to us and, and it gives rise an opportunity for us to speak about Jesus. Paul used this terminology, called it an open door. And uh, where there is an open door, I would encourage you to walk through that door and open your mouth. It's what it means to be a witness for Jesus. It means basically telling them a witness, right? What you have seen and what you have heard, right? Witnessing to them, talking to them about and out of your experience. In fact, this is the theme of the book of Acts. Uh, it is, be my witnesses. Jesus calls us to be witnesses for, uh, to, of himself to other people. We've been seeing that in the book of Acts. So you can open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We, we started in the fall uh, in the book of Acts. We took a break for Christmas time. 
And uh, now we're back there this morning. And since we've been away for a while, it'd be good to review a little bit about where we have been. The book of Acts tells the story of the history of the church. Um, It it covers uh, about uh, 30 to 40 years of history uh, from the, the resurrection of Jesus through the time of Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Um, it's a book of triumph because we see the gospel just, just press forward and triumph. We start with this little group of people, 120 in chapter 1, and then it expands out to, to many, many churches. I, I think there are over 50 or 60 churches mentioned even in, uh, in the Bible that just were there even in the book of Acts, of just all these churches and, and countless thousands of believers we see in chapter 1 that the book begins with Jesus risen from the dead, giving his disciples their final instruction over the last 40 days when he was there. And he promised, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, really the theme verse, he promised the Holy Spirit to come. He said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There's the theme right there. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. That is, the Holy Spirit will come, they receive power, they would be witnesses, not only just right in Jerusalem where they live, but that's where they're going to be first, and then the surrounding close-by regions, Samaria in the north, Judea in the south, and then to the end of the earth, and that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. It's what Acts is all about. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowering his followers to be witnesses throughout the world, and our church, even here this morning, is a testimony to that whole enterprise about what the Holy Spirit has done. That's where we get the application of us for us today, right? To be my witnesses. Well, after saying these things, Jesus, after 40 days, he was lifted up, literally like lifted up into the clouds. And uh, the same way he went up is the same way that he will come back again. And uh, we see then, just 10 days later, in chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit falling upon the disciples. We, we see them in power, speaking in tongues. That is, languages previously unknown to them. And this, this event then caused such a confusion that, that it became an event which then Peter could be used as a witness for Christ. We see this often, right? Some sort of event happens, and then there's a witness for Christ. So Peter stood up, proclaimed the gospel. He said, you're, you're, you're questioning about what this means, about all this speaking in tongues and all these languages? Let me tell you, that's exactly what Joel said in Joel chapter 2. This is the promise about sons and daughters prophesying and seeing visions and dream, dream, dreaming dreams. And then he went down at the end of that sermon and spoke all about Jesus. And he said basically that, that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. It's Jesus whom you crucified. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36 and, and these tongues are mere confirmation of that. That Jesus is the Lord. He is seated in heaven, waiting until his enemies made a footstool for his feet. But he's the anointed one. He's the, the Messiah. When they realized this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And on that day, 3,000 people believe, repented of their sins. They believed, they were baptized, and added to the church. We see that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. The church was together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, and things were going so well. It it, it says in verse 47 that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we got 3,000 in verse 41, and then in 47, right, just growing and growing and growing and growing. That's why I said this book is a book of of triumph. And then a short time later, we don't know how short, um, I suspect like even within the week perhaps, uh, Peter and John 
heal the lame man. Their story is told in chapter 3. They'd gone up to the temple to pray the ninth hour of the day, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And they saw this 40-year-old man sitting there who had never walked before. We saw him begging for money. And Peter then says, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man not only rose up, not only did he walk, but he began leaping and praising God for his newfound health. And like the coming of the Holy Spirit, right, there was this, in Pentecost, there was this miracle that Peter did that provided some confusion, provided an event. And people were like, what is this? What, 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 it's, what was this about? And Peter then used that event of the miracle then to preach his message in chapter 3 and verse 12 when he, he talked to the people about really what, what happened. Basically said this, the same God who is the God of the Jews is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead and he's going to return and set things right. And then in chapter 4, we come this morning, we're going to see really a turn in the book of Acts because up until this time, we see the disciples going into the temple and sort of being welcomed there. Um, in, in chapter 3, we see them going up to the temple to pray. Even in chapter 2 and verse 46, we read how day by day they were attending the temple together. So day by day, every day, the Christians originally met in the temple is, is right where they were. Um, and I think some of that's because the Jews hadn't fully understood the message of Christ about how antagonistic it is, how, how Jesus means the Jews are wrong in the fact that they have rejected him. And as they continue to reject him... Uh, that their presence there on the, the Temple Mount as they were preaching and teaching is all about, about Jesus. And, and you need to believe and trust in Him. And basically, they're going there. It's like going, someone coming here into our church telling us how wrong we are. And eventually, it's like, okay, I think you can stay away now. We understand that uh, we think we're right. We think you're wrong. So that's what the, the Christians were basically banished out. And we see here in chapter 4, the Jewish authorities arrest the apostles and seek to intimidate them to keep silent. But it didn't stop them. Rather, they continue to be bold in their witness. And that is the title of my message this morning, A Bold Witness. That's what Peter and John were doing. They were being bold. It got them in trouble. But that trouble was in the opportunity they had to speak with others about Jesus. So let, let's just read our text. Acts chapter 4, 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, <clears throat> which has become the cornerstone. 
and their salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we see the conflict with Peter um, and John experience in the first part of the text. And then there's the response in the second part. The conflict is the event that's going to give them an opportunity then to speak of Jesus. And through it all, they were bold. They recognized this in verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. And, and when this event was done, remarkable. They were boldly preaching. And yet also, we're going we're gonna to find out that they're praying for more boldness. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They're praying, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They were speaking with boldness, and then they were told to, they prayed to God that they would be able to continue to speak with boldness. <clears throat> we see there in verse 31 <clears throat> that when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Indeed, boldness is a theme of chapter 4. And uh, would it be that the thing that's going to help us be bold in our witness is praying? Perhaps praying for boldness? If you want to apply being my witnesses, if you want to apply the, 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 the application of the book of Acts, perhaps we need to pray. Well, there's a bold witness. My first point here is a, a bold witness faces conflict. That's what we see in verses 1 through 4. It's the first half of our text. Let's read again. He says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, it's no accident these people were not pleased with Peter and John and what they were preaching. First of all, it was their teaching period that was offensive to them they were not educated in the schools of the rabbis they hadn't received the proper training they didn't have the letters behind their name and so they were uh, upset one commentator said these were unauth- this was unauthorized preaching by unprofessional preachers and you can even see that there in uh, in verse 2 how they're greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people secondly though this probably stirred them more is that they were preaching the resurrection and, and in chapter 3 Peter mentioned that, chapter 3, verse 15, about that God raised Jesus from the dead. We, we see a, a sliver there of preaching the resurrection. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Um, but we, we even see that when they were taken into custody and put in, it was already evening. They, they went up to the house to pray. They went to the temple to pray about 3 o'clock. It was already evening. That's maybe 6 o'clock for the last three hours They'd been talking to the people, and, and I'm sure that they spoke much about uh, the resurrection. So I don't think chapter 3 and verse 15 was the only time in which they spoke about the resurrection. I think there was hours of times in which they were talking about the resurrection. And, and, and I'm sure that their message came through loud and clear. They were talking about how they were followers of this teacher from Galilee named Jesus, who was amazing as they walked with him for, for three years, about how he... He, he taught with great wisdom. He taught with great authority. He was a, able to heal so many. He was so tender. He was a prophet like no other. And, and Jesus had told them even about what exactly is going to happen in Jerusalem. He's going to go up to Jerusalem and be betrayed and, in, and, and be placed in the hands of the chief priests and the elders. And they're going to crucify him. He's going to be killed and be buried. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. And that indeed is exactly what happened to a T. And Jesus rose again. And we walked with him. 
Peter and John were telling them. We talk with him. He even explained to us all about the kingdom of God, that you enter the kingdom by way of repentance and faith. And, and here was Jesus alive and well telling us these things. And so as they went on for these hours of preaching and teaching and gathering with the people, surely the, the Sadducees, the liberals of the day, were not pleased with them because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, Luke tells us that explicitly in, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 8, that the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. I trust you remember how to, how to remember that. The Sadducees don't remember the resurrection. You remember that, Krissa? Why? Because they're what? They're sad, you see. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. I thought you knew that. Did you know that? Is that what you said? Okay. <clears throat> That's how you always remember these sad people because they don't believe in the resurrection. But these were the ones with the political power, which means that they were able to arrest Peter and John. And so the commanding officer of the, of the temple force arrested them and put them in jail. So we find them, right, being a bold witness, and all that gets them is conflict. It gets them an evening in the jail. And I just say this, to the extent that you bring Jesus into the conversations in your life, you will face conflict. It's how the Christian life works. God has called us to be and, and do for Jesus, right? We walk righteously and holy. And a lot of times, even your holiness and even your walking right with God will be a stench to other people, and they will not like it. They won't want your Bible verses, right? They won't want your hymns. They won't want your songs. They won't want your church attendance. They won't, don't want these things. Just your life. But also then the things you say. If you're bold for Jesus, you'll, they'll not like that either. Because no one likes being told that they're wrong. Maybe there's an exception here. Who likes being told they're wrong? No? Some of you? All right. Well, not, no. We don't like being told we're wrong. And if you speak to other people about Jesus is the only way to God, and, and you're wrong, like even, even Peter here just speaking about, right? Whom you killed, the author of life, God raised from the dead, right? You killed him. You're wrong. People don't like that. That's what God calls us to do. Be bold and then deal godly with the conflict that comes. In the case of Peter and John, it meant a night in the jail. These Sadducees had the power to arrest them and keep them in jail, but not so the gospel. The gospel cannot be bound. For we read even in verse 4, though Peter and John were in prison, in jail, we read verse 4, that many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. And uh, so we, we saw 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 41. And we saw in verse 47, more and more being saved. So now we're up to 5,000. But that's not 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men. Not counting wives, not counting children. So we're talking 5,000, maybe, maybe 10,000, maybe 20,000 people are believing at this point. And I think the Sadducees were... We're afraid of the crowds, which had begun in Acts chapter 1 um, at, at 120 in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. And now is to 10,000 maybe. Tens of thousands. And it's an exciting book. That's why Acts is so wonderful. It's the church exploded. And we get to see it here as we go through the book of Acts. And may it stir our hearts in that direction. We see a bold witness faces conflict and a bold witness then also preaches Christ. That's really the essence of what it means to be bold, is to speak forth and speak forth the message of Jesus. And that's what Peter does. And, and boldness particularly, even when others don't want to hear it. 
That's what boldness is. And, and verses 5 through 7 really set the scene for the boldness. Read, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Does this remind you of any scene? Just a few months earlier, it was right before, it was Jesus set before this same group of people. They're the same people. It was Annas and Caiaphas mentioned in John 18. You can read about it right there. <clears throat> before these very men, Jesus stood trial. And these were the men in power in those days. Annas was the, the father figure. Caiaphas was the son-in-law. Uh, Annas had been high priest for nine years from 6 A.D. to 15 A.D. So when Jesus was a child, was he a boy, when he stayed behind in the temple, there was Annas right there, the high priest in the temple. And then Caiaphas was his son-in-law who picked up a few years after Annas ended from 18 A.D. to 36 A.D. And so this, this is taking place, 30 A.D., 33 A.D., you're kind of in that area. And Caiaphas was the high priest at that time. Annas, the father-in-law, really was the power behind the throne, but still Caiaphas was right there. It's like this, this family of powerful people. Thirty years of power was held by this family. Now, all that we know in history about John and Alexander is right here. We just know that they're part of the high priestly family. But basically what you got, you got the high priestly family who has summoned then the police force and the council to get them all together so that they can interrogate uh, these two men. In, in chapter 15, in verse 15, we see that the whole council was there. The council was a Sanhedrin that was 70 men. So th- picture this, Peter and, and, and John and the lame man, according to verse 14, the lame man was right there with him, was standing in the midst of this semicircle, which is probably a little hall off of the Temple Mount, uh, probably below the Temple Mount, and, and standing in this hall, and they had these people up and raised and in this semicircle, like all around them. So they had to look up. This is exactly where Jesus was. And you had the 70, plus you had Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and maybe some more of the family were right there. And amazingly, they questioned these apostles exactly like they questioned Jesus. It, it was over the issue of authority. Verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is reference to the healing of the lame man. What power or what name gave you this ability? Now, it's no accident they were concerned with authority. This was their main concern with Jesus. Because the ministry of Jesus hit square and hard at the issue of power and authority of the religious leaders. They were concerned that as Jesus gathered leaders and everyone would follow after them, they would have no more followers and they would lose their cushy life of religious leaders because if the people followed after them, they wouldn't after him, they wouldn't follow after them and their religious system would fall. That's why they questioned their authority. And that's why they questioned Jesus. What Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel in Luke 20, and we read this, Luke 20, verses 1 and 2, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to Jesus, tell us, by what authority do you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? So a similar note was struck both in the days of Jesus and in the days of these apostles, right? They're suffering the exactly same thing, right? If they hated the teacher, will they not hate the disciple also? Standing before that very council, asking the very same questions, it surely wasn't lost on Peter. Listen to what John Stott says. He says this. 
memories of the trial of Jesus must have flooded the apostles' minds. Was history to repeat itself? They could hardly expect justice from that court which had listened to the false witnesses and unjustly condemned their Lord. Were they to suffer the same fate? Would they too be handed over to the Romans and crucified? They must have asked themselves these questions. So as they look back, I mean, they had life or death in their minds, right? They could easily have been condemned just like Jesus, whipped and beaten and scourged and taken off to be crucified just like Jesus was. Only during the trial of Jesus, you remember where the apostles were? Remember, where was Peter during the, the trial of Jesus? Remember? He was out in the courtyard, right? Warring himself by the, the charcoal grill there because it was cold. But he's looking in at Jesus before this whole, whole council and he's there. But he is, he's a coward. And, and he's shrinking back. And, and, and his Galilean dialect gave him away. And he was asked if he was with Jesus. He denied him. Even the servant girl... He said to this, to this girl, he said, Woman, I do not know him. Right? Ashamed of that first trial, but oh, how, how things have changed. Rather than being cowardly and fearful, Peter now takes the offensive. He's being asked about what, what he's preaching, but he's going to turn it around and ask them in a strong and forceful way. And he's beginning to begin to attack them by rejecting their Messiah. Right? The living one by whose very power this man was, was healed. You say, what's the difference? What, what changes a man from, from being cowardly and denying Jesus on three occasions to now boldly stepping in there, as we're going to see in verses 8 through 12, boldly preaching about Jesus? What changed? Well, the answer is right there in verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and it's interesting here, this doesn't refer to Pentecost. This isn't Acts 2, as if, if the filling of Peter was just one time, Right? There he is. He, he's all filled and powerful with the, the, the Spirit. Know that the sense is here is the fresh filling of the Spirit, empowered at the moment to speak in particular boldness. We're going to see this several other times in the book of Acts, where disciples, right before they're going to speak, are, are particularly filled with the Spirit with a boldness and a confidence to, to speak. And it's only right for us. As we find ourselves in the situation where there's some event and there's a door... And as we open that door and walk through it, that we are praying in that moment, God, fill us with your Holy Spirit that I might speak forth what is right, what is true, what's needed right precisely at this moment. Right, Lord, give me the words to say at this moment. Remember when Jesus promised that? Particularly his disciples. He, he said this, Luke 21, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Jesus tells the disciples this, therefore. He says, settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And so at this moment, as Peter speaks... Bill with the Spirit, he speaks exactly what the Holy Spirit told him to speak. He, he didn't prepare this beforehand. It wasn't some canned speech. This was the words of the Holy Spirit. As he said, rulers of the people and elders. He said, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
by whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As he spoke boldly to all those people, just the words the Holy Spirit gave them, it was not lost on them, for it says in verse 13 that everyone took notice because they saw the boldness of Peter and John and, and perceived they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And next week we'll talk about what made them so astonished as they had been with Jesus. Peter was a changed man. No longer a fearful coward. No longer denying that he knew Jesus. Rather, he's one willing to stand up against the most powerful people in the nation at that time. Oh, may the Lord give us boldness as well. To speak in a similar way. Well, the rulers had asked Peter a question about the power to heal the lame man. And the answer is so simple. Uh, I mean, he could have said, well, did you see the instant replay, right? I, I got it on my phone, right? Here, let's pull up the phone. You remember, right? right? Back to that time, chapter 3, verse 6. I do not have silver. I do not have gold. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And there it is, right? If they said, right from the beginning, your, your question is answered. You're asking about what name did you do this? By what power did you do this? I'm telling you, I did it through Jesus it's so simple for Peter to, to pivot here from this question, right, to talk about Jesus. Because the answer to the question is Jesus. It's kind of like the question my neighbor asked me. What, what occupation are you involved with that makes you so strong? It's like right there on the table, right? Speak of Jesus. And Peter's answer then comes in verse 10. He basically says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by, by this man... By him, this, this man is standing before you well. <clears throat> but it's interesting here in verse 10. He didn't just say, well, it's the power of Jesus. He wanted to make sure that he clarified who Jesus was. Right? Just making sure that they understood that this is the same man who stood before you uh, a couple months ago, whom you condemned and you killed. That's exactly what he said. He said the, the lame one, the, the one you put to death is the very one that gave life to this lame man. It's interesting here. It says in verse ten, verse nine, about uh, this word healed. He, he says, um, "If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man's been healed? Literally in the Greek, it's saved. By by what means this man has been saved? I mean that that saved gives a whole connotation. I mean in the, the Greek language, saved could mean healed, just healed completely. It doesn't necessarily have to have spiritual." connotations there but he's been saved he's been rescued out of a life of poverty and begging to live a new life where he can earn his own living but no doubt also if he was so miraculously healed like that uh, certainly this man had faith and trust trusting in jesus for the forgiveness of his sins maybe he probably believed in in in, in uh, the apostles teaching for at least it even says that he was standing right there beside them that was the topic of conversation. He'd been listening for a couple hours is what that means. It's not like he was healed and then he went off running to his house. No, he was healed and he was right there listening to the testimony of Peter and John. So he probably is a believer trusting in Christ, being, seeing all of his uh, life being saved for sure. So Peter was really clear about it's by the name of Jesus Christ. You remember the one that you crucified? That's the one. That's the one. It's the power here. But then I love also how he mentions the resurrection whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. 
remember, one of the whole reasons why he's standing there is because he was preaching the resurrection of the dead. And so he didn't want to get away from there, like ignoring the resurrection. He wanted to speak forth the resurrection for sure. And so Peter makes it crystal clear that this Jesus indeed was risen from the dead. Verification of that fact, the lame man was healed. Dead people cannot heal other people. But Jesus is alive and well, powerful enough to bring this man to perfect health. That's what he describes in chapter 3 and verse 16. But Peter doesn't stop there. Right? They asked him, by what name or authority to do this? He didn't just say Jesus. Right? He continued on. He, he, he answered on. A little bit like, well, what occupation makes you so strong? Well, I'm a pastor. And I said, and I tell people how they can have their sins forgiven, right? Going on, right? Digging in, pressing in. And that's what Peter does in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That's a well-known passage from uh, Psalm 110, Psalm 118. Rather, it comes from verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected became the cornerstone. Uh, this psalm was well known to the Jews. It's the, the psalm that was quoted in the Palm Sunday when the, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26 are those very, very words. But just a few verses before those Hosanna words comes this. The stone which the builders rejected became the very cornerstone and peter says jesus is the stone the jewish leaders you rejected the stone you rejected jesus but jesus has then become the cornerstone that is the most important the most foundational stone of the building sometimes it's called the capstone right that upon which everything holds or maybe sometimes the foundation stone right that stone upon which everything else is measured that is jesus he's the foundation And you rejected him. And this wasn't the first time the leaders heard this message. When they questioned Jesus about his authority to teach and preach, Jesus told them a parable. Maybe you remember this parable, Luke chapter 20. I just want to read it for you. They're questioning the authority of Jesus, right? And so that was after the triumphal entry when he's riding in on a donkey. And uh, he says this. He says, a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they beat and treated him shamefully. And they they sent him another away empty-handed. He sent him a third. And this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, well, what should I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves... This is the heir. Let us kill him so the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, he said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They're just tying those two things together about about rejecting Jesus. But this Jesus they rejected is the very one who is the cornerstone. Exactly what Peter is saying, right? This parable, right? God sent the prophets to them over and over. And they, they abused them and mistreated them. But God sent his son and they killed him. But that wasn't the end of it all. 
The one they killed is actually the foundation stone of the whole house. He's risen. He's there. He's the one that has established himself as the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. In fact, that's the point made in verse 12. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one who saves us. That's what he's saying. Now, this verse is super interesting here because when we hear this verse, what do we think of? First of all, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We think, oh, it's talking about the exclusivity of the saving nature of Jesus, right? You're only saved through Jesus. We hear John 14, which Gary read for us. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's exclusivity. That's what, that's what we hear. And that's, that's not wrong. But that's not what the original hearers would have heard. They wouldn't have heard exclusivity. They believed in exclusivity. They, they had a Savior. Their Savior was the Lord. It was Yahweh. It was God. He was the only one to save. So they had an exclusive Savior. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't new to them. In fact, Isaiah 43 verse 3 says this. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, God is our Savior. And in fact, even the Savior was exclusive. Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no other. Only saved through God. They, they believe that. But, but so when Peter was saying this, there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's not the exclusivity that hit them. What was it? It was the claim of deity that addressed them. They were like, our only Savior is God. He's saying Jesus is our only Savior. Jesus is God. It's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of divinity. Yes, the Savior must be exclusive. But the Savior, Jesus, is divine. He's the same Savior. The, the, the Jews profess right, God being the Savior. And he's saying that this is God. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. He is the one you need to seek for your salvation. Now, the exclusivity is totally there. Because it even says that he is the only one. There's no other name from heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's, there's not any other name which we can be saved. There's no savior besides Jesus. And, and we live, particularly by application, in a society that doubts that and debates that. I mean, people think that there are many ways to God. You guys seen the coexist bumper stickers? Right, you seen those? Basically, everybody together, everybody on their own path to God, right? People think that there are lots of ways to God. It's so we can, can choose our own path, whatever seems best to us. We say, well, I kind of like Buddha. I'm going to take him here. Or, or, or I like Allah. I'm going to take a little bit of that there. Or, or I like this philosopher. I, I'm going to take a little bit of that there and try to figure out what the, what the best way is so as to get to heaven. And uh, Jesus says, or Peter says, no, there's, there's only one way. It's through Jesus. And I tell you, if, if you're looking to be a bold witness, you can just teach people and talk to people that it's only through Jesus. It, it's not through your worship of nature that's going to get you there. It, it, it's not through your, your works, right? It's only Jesus who's going to save you by his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and I think one guy, one guy said it well. Uh, it's in a blog. I pulled this up. But I, I thought he, he said it well. He says, why is Jesus the only way? He says, we're conditioned in our culture to think of religion as a personal preference. We're told, you've got yours, i got mine, and there's no right one. 
So to claim Jesus is the only way to God is like claiming that chocolate ice cream is the one true flavor. And that sounds absurd. However, preference is the wrong category for religious truth. Ice cream is the wrong analogy. But people in our culture hear ice cream. Right? We say Jesus is the only way. It's kind of like you're, you're staking your claim on chocolate ice cream is the way. Like, no, I like strawberry. <laughs> strawberry fits pretty well to me. But, but this, this blogger says it's the wrong analogy. Don't use the, the dessert analogy. Instead, he says, we ought to think of religion the way we think of medicine. Each religion recognizes the world is sick and offers its own diagnosis just as a doctor would. And that is so true. Every religion out there is trying to figure out the human condition. What is it? Why is evil here? How can we escape this evil? How can we do better? Whether it's what we get another try, whether it's reincarnation, trying something else, or how can we get our way to nirvana, this, this best place? Right? Or how can we do better after we die? It's all, all dealing with the same thing. Every religion recognizes the world is sick to some degree and offers its own diagnosis, just as a doctor would. And in addition, each religion offers a potential cure. And we don't choose medicine like we choose dessert. It would be absurd to say, Doctor, I know I have cancer, um, but I prefer aspirin over chemotherapy. Right? So I'll, I'll just take my aspirin rather than the, the chemotherapy the doctor would say. We, we, we don't say a preference when it comes to um, medical things. We want to know what works, whether chemotherapy works or, or, or some health way. Right? Does that work? A changing radical diet. Right? What, what helps solve this problem? Whatever solves the problem, that's the path I'm going to take. We want to know what's true. We want to know what actually works. And when you examine the diagnosis and cures offered by other religions, you realize they differ radically from Christianity. And, and that's really why there's salvation in only the name of Jesus. is because the, all the other world religions, the, the solution the, to the medicine to your problem is different. I mean, most often it is, it is uh, how good you are, right? Whether, whether you're good enough to come back maybe in a higher state than before. Or are you going to stand before God and your good is going to outweigh your bad? That's what most people think. Right? That, that, that's how they, they put it. But Christianity is totally different. So it's not a matter of what you do or, or have done. It's a matter of sins forgiven. How are your sins going to be forgiven? That, that, that's why my common response is, what? I'm a pastor of a church. I tell people how their sins can be forgiven in Jesus. Right? Because that's the core, how our sins are going to be forgiven. And, and they're forgiven not because of works we've done in righteousness, but they're, they're given through faith and trust in Jesus. Because God is righteous. And, and we in our sin have, have caused God to be angry with us. And His wrath would pour out on our sin. Nothing keeps us from being destroyed except the mercy of God. It's the kindness of God. That keeps us today from being destroyed. I read this morning from Genesis chapter 7. That's talking about the flood that came upon the earth. And basically God sees the wickedness of man. He says, I'll just destroy them all. Except for Moses. Except for Noah, rather. And Mrs. Noah and their three sons and daughters. Sons and wives. Right? But nothing but the mercy of God. The kindness of God. And the promise he won't flood the world again. Keeps us from that. We're in trouble. And we can't get out of this trouble by being good enough. We've done enough for our condemnation, right? We need saving. And the message is that Jesus Christ died on the cross 
that he might take our punishment, that we might believe in him and trust in him. There may be some of you here this morning who need to believe that and trust that. Trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone, like you would a medicine. It's not a matter of preference. Oh, I kind of like this. Or I kind of like this message. I kind of like, no, it's what God has revealed in his word. And he's revealed in his word that the only name through which one must be saved is through Jesus. And notice here, this is that we must be saved. To, to escape our sin, we must be saved through Jesus. And that's the peril we're all in. And so let's trust in him. All right? Let's pray. Father, I pray that even as we sang earlier, is anyone worthy? Is anyone holy? Is anyone whole to take up the scroll? God, none of us. But it's the Lion of Judah who's conquered the grave. He's the great I am. He is able to take the scroll and to open its seals. And in that, O oh Lord, we do look and we rejoice and we thank you, O oh God. You've given us the way of salvation. And, and there's no one here in the sound of my, my voice, whether it's here or in the overflow room, or whether that's online, God, who is without excuse because it is through Jesus that, that we can be saved. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved, just trusting and believing in him. So God, stir in our hearts. Help us to see that. And, and, and Father, for those of us who know that, I, I pray for boldness, as Peter and John were. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us at those moments where we need to speak forth your truth and that we would be those who would be ambassadors for Christ, being witnesses for Jesus, merely telling people of all that we have seen and experienced um, in him. So may we find in him lovely. May we find him to be... Um, kind and gracious as he is. May we find him to be our, our help and our, the one upon whom we can depend. Um, God, so stir us afresh as we speak next week even about what it means to be with Jesus. God, to, to be empowered then to speak forth about his saving name. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.